The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of Elam Garrick from the Star Trek Deep Space Nine series. Last week we talked about Garrick's motivations and specific style of tradecraft before getting into some specific Garrick episodes. If you missed out on part one, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can always stay caught up with us. David, we left off on the cliffhanger of the two-part episode from season three that Gaia's cast. The last thing we talked about was Garrick apparently switching sides back to the Obsidian Order. Ooh, what's gonna happen? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna analyze Garrick's tradecraft in the second part of that episode and a whole lot more in this episode of Spies Like Us. The second part of uh, this two-parter is uh, the Dias cast. That's uh, season three, episode twenty-one, and uh, you know our basic situation is uh, uh, Garrick and Odo have been captured by Tane, the ex-head of the Obsidian Order. He's got this master plan the Rom- with the Romulans. They're going to do a massive strike against the Dominion, and and Garrick appears to have switched sides. And, and gone back into the employ of his old master. We're going to find out that it's all bullshit at the end, and actually the <laughs> Romulan commander is a changeling, and and I don't want to talk too much about that at this second, but um, it's it's worth noting. because uh, but, but Garrick doesn't know that. So watch, let's watch Garrick, how he operates through this episode. Um... Tane and the Romulans want Odo interrogated uh, because they know that uh, Odo, as a changeling, has information on the founders, which are the leaders of the Dominion. Um, Garrick insists on doing the interrogation himself, which makes a couple points of sense. Number one, Garrick's supposed to be really good at this shit. And uh, also, he, he tells Tane that Tane won't trust him if he doesn't do the interrogation himself. Which could just be, and probably is, a cover-up. In fact, I assume it is to just protect Odo from being interrogated by the Romulans. I, th- I think so too. Even I on definitely a, think so. Even on a super cynical level, you could say like, "Well, Garrick wants to know the information so he can manipulate it." But it's plus spy points and minus spy points. It's plus for insisting that he do the interrogation himself. <laughs> But it's minus, I think, for explaining why. That's a little too much like, for, for the audience's uh, benefit. Right. Yeah. The real, the, real, the real plus five points would have been insisting because I'm back, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> so during the uh, – and then they, they pull a really – uh oh what do i want to call it it's it's a clever writer's thing like so they want they want garrick to torture odo but they don't actually want to have a torture scene (laughs) in deep space nine it's it's not that kind of show uh right so they come up with this device that uh, the Romulans have developed that prevents Odo from transforming. It's a it's a very creative way of creating the emotional experience of a torture without actually showing you like the torture. Garrick goes to Odo. He says like, you know, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to do this to you. Just tell me the information. You know, he tries to show sympathy. Now, you can't call this necessarily uh, proof of... Uh, Garrick being a good guy because that's what interrogators do, right? Yes. Any any sympathy right. that he shows directly toward Odo has to be assumed to be at least highly suspect at the very least, right? Um, and then of course uh, we you know we switch that with sympathy and also threats. That's standard interrogation process. Uh, he's very convincing in threatening Odo, but. We would have to assume, I think, that the Romulans are listening. Um, how do we do this? If the Romulans aren't listening, that's minus spy points for them. Right. But it's definitely minus spy points for Garrick for thinking for thinking that they wouldn't be listening. And that's right. my number one worst <laughs> tradecraft that I've found in all my things. 
that was total bullshit. You, you, there's no reason for Garrick to think that's not even how any interrogation works ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, even in the departed and in infernal affairs, they had to find a way to turn off the watching. There's always that double-sided mirror. Like interrogations right. are very closely observed by analysts and, and everybody. You don't just send a guy into a room and then, you know, a closed box and then have right. him come out and, <laughs> and just say like, yeah, he didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, uh, th- th- that actually made my number two worst. My number two was the same for you is just Garrick not assuming he's being watched. But my number one worst is more of like a Star Trek universe thing. Mm-hmm. Why are there no cameras anywhere? Like the only time we ever get cameras is when like the show decides there's cameras. There, there was a camera watching like Jake and Nog have a conversation. So it's, <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like, like, so like the whole universe could be using cameras somewhere. And it's not like Star Trek is that old where there aren't cameras. We can forgive them for not all having, well, they kind of have cell phones, but uh, you know, they, what, what don't they have? There's, there's a lot of stuff that we have today. Oh, oh, I think it was uh Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, cor- <laughs> you know, fuck fucking Latinum. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. No, it, it just bugs me that like watching, you know, the last half was like, okay, maybe there's just no cameras in the start. Maybe we have a Gattaca situation. And then I get one episode where cameras are being used. And I'm like, well, fuck me. Like, really? We need cameras for this episode, but we don't get cameras for it. it anyway, but it plays into the not being watched situation for this interrogation. Back, backing out of Tradecraft for a moment, too, though. Uh, you know what I always say, or what I always say about um, characters that are unreliable witnesses because they, they lie all the time and are known to be people that can lie all the time. Um, you always want to see if you can spot times when they're alone. Uh, because when you're alone, there's no reason to lie to anyone, right? I noticed at the end of the torture sequence, when Odo has given up the information, he's turned back into his gelatinous state and Garrick is uh, turning away from Odo with his head in his hands, visibly upset about what he's right. done. And only either A, nobody can see him, which is not what he should assume. He should assume that the Romulans are watching. Either way, like the, the emotion has to be real because him looking super upset about torturing Odo, if nobody's watching... Uh, has to be real. And if the Romulans were watching, it serves, it's counterproductive to demonstrate that emotion. But why were they interrogating Odo in the first place? Uh, Because they want, because Odo is a changeling and they're looking for the founder's homeworld. So, okay. That's when Garrick shuts off the machine is when Odo gives up the big secret Mm -hmm. that, wow. Okay. So this is more like, Garrick figures out what it is. Like Garrick's like, I knew you were hiding something and this is your big secret. You know, I think Garrick might've at that point might've believed Odo was serving the founders, which is a threat to Cardassia. Ooh, true. But true. At, at, at that moment when Odo reveals the secret that he cares about his people, and that's the secret that he's been hiding because if it comes out that Odo cares about his people, he's already an outsider on the station. The fact, and that, for the the fact that, that behind his gooey exterior, uh, right. that, that Odo desperately, uh, you know, is in personal turmoil over his inability to rejoin with his people. And of course that plucks directly into Garrick's heart of hearts, which he hides right. behind his own kind of personal armor, which is that right. he 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 would like to return home again. He finds out that they're not so different after all, which is very right. very Star Trekky feely kind of stuff. Oh, oh, 
Right. He probably thinks he's about to die and, and he's got to make his peace, which, which really demonstrates that the, the hard cynical view of Garrick isn't the real Garrick. And, the, and the, it's, it's this interaction with Garrick and, and Odo that they find out that they, they both have this just wall of uh, uh, disinterest or nihilism or, uh, you know, a emotional, you know, type of persona that there really is a person behind that show. Despite, despite my little quibbles about how they got there with this episode, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it accomplishes great forwarding of the story and our, our deeper connection and understanding of the characters and of the characters understanding of each other. Why don't you take us to a, a Another two-parter. We're going to jump way ahead into season five. I, I definitely want to take the lead on Purgatory's shadow. Um, Inferno's light is just kind of the aftermath of that. For the listener that remembers the, the, the series but didn't watch it yesterday, this is kind of like that two-part episode where uh, Garrick and Worf get captured by the Dominion in this race. And they meet Tane and 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 Bashir. Warthog. Surprisingly, Bashir. Yeah, the but real Bashir. Right. And that's and, and Warthog. But those are the episodes we're talking about here. This is one of those instances that I mentioned earlier that uh Garrick flat out lies and is always there's there's a there's a signal that DS9 receives and it's Cardassian. So they bring on Garrick to talk, to try and decode it. He lies to uh, the entire like staff that it's just a laundry list. And, and then he's going to a ship to run off because it turns out the code is specifically only decodable by Tane and Garrick. Once again, our father-son relationship, which will probably get into daddy issues at some point. Uh, but this is the episode. This is the episode where we confirm that Tane is. Garrick's we do. Father. I'm not clear why Tane sent a message to Garrick only. Now Tane's situation right now is that he's been captured by the Dominion. I think I think Garrick's the only one he can trust, especially with the whole burning bridges thing. Garrick was the one that that rose to the top. You know, this, the Cardassian survival of the fittest. Right after that Gar- whole Gar- after after that whole debacle in the in the Dyas cast. It's probably at this point, like, even those bridges have been burned. Oh, maybe he knows he's dying. No, I think, and this is I his, think he does. I think he does. And this is his, like, reach out, even though he's not going to... Oh, he's not going to explicitly acknowledge Garrick as his son. This is his, this is his reach out. You know, he, 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 this, is, this is his dying moment, and he's going to reach out to his he son. Might, he might not be consciously aware of, of it, but, but it's, it's very possible that he's seeking closure at the end of his life. Right, 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 right. But despite all this, this uh, kind of uh, storytelling that is super interesting, I really want to go over Garrick's steps of tradecraft here. Let's hear it. He gets the, co- he gets the code. He lies to the entire staff. Then at the bar with Bashir and Ziao, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, I gave up hope a long time ago. Fake Bashir shows up at the, the runabout that Garrick's going into um, because Garrick had been lying. These are the moments where he f- actually l- explicitly lied, right? He he gets pulled back f- with fake Bashir to go tell Cisco. Um, and then he he this is this is where he doesn't lie. And this is where his like hardcore talent of storytelling comes in. He's presenting facts with very clear messages. And the, the, the first one I want to point out is when he gets taken to Cisco, he's like, look, this is a message of mercy. We need to save these people that could have been died because Cisco is that type of man. Cisco is a compassionate person. Then let's get to the Wharf and Garrick situation. Which because, is really, where because, it's really Cisco, powerful. because Cisco's convinced and he says, okay, I'll let you go, but I'm going to send my badass Klingon motherfucker with you to watch your ass. <laughs> to watch your ass. Cause Cisco is a compassionate person, but he's not an idiot. 
right? Like this is this is a trust, captain trust, of Starfleet. Trust but verify. Right, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, the, the old KGB trust but verify that Reagan took from the KGB, right? Uh, that's hilarious. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we have Worf and Garrick on a, a roundabout, and Garrick starts out with this uh, request from Worf. Um, Worf, you know, I've been thinking about joining Starfleet. I was wondering if you could sponsor me, you know, like – you know, and Worf is like, what are you talking about? That's not imp- whatever, you know, and, and he's going on this whole thing. You don't understand. I could be useful. Like, I think, you know, he puts on this whole performance and, and, and he gets Worf to concede. I will consider it. And I think Garrick is testing the waters in that lie. Cause I think that's where Garrick realizes that he's cornered him and he's figured out, uh, Worf's motivation. <laughs> Um, and I'll get into why I think this is testing the waters. Uh, but after Worf says he'll consider it, Garrett goes on about like, oh, you know, I'd be a great asset to Starfleet. I think I'd climb the ranks quickly and be commander. In fact, I think you should put that in your report. And he basically lets Worf know that he's lying about wanting to join Starfleet. And that's when Worf is contests him like, you don't even want to join Starfleet. You made this whole thing. And that's when Garrick says, well, lying is a skill. You have to, like, you know, practice it once in a while. And Worf is like, I wish you would stop practicing it. And this is why I think Garrick isn't just practicing his lying. I think he's trying to get to know Worf. Because once the signal comes in to their roundabout that uh, there's like a, I th- what is it? I think it was a distress signal or something. And Worf is like, we can't go into the Gamma Quadrant. I've been specifically ordered not to take any bad risks. And he's like, you know, talking about, oh, that sounds like a Starfield officer. But what Garrick does, he basically crafts this whole collection of philosophical arguments to Worf, playing on Worf's Cardass or uh, uh, Klingon uh, beliefs. And we all know Worf's like internal struggle is that, He's a Starfleet officer raised by humans or whatever, but he still wants to be a Klingon and be accepted as a Klingon. So, so he starts using these words like turning away now would be unKlingon. The answer is out there. We need to have the courage to find it. Brave soldiers could be out there and we could go save them. It's the honorable thing to do. Worf responds very harshly. Use that word, but you don't know understand what it means. And Garrick responds with, that may be true, but you do. And that that's the moment that Worf like decides, all right, we're gonna go, we're gonna go respond to this message. And like this goes back to what you were saying earlier that Garrick never puts on like a melodramatic performance. What he does is use like reason and logic, but he'll he'll use very sharp words brave and courage and honor he's creating a piece of content that Worf will accept and it's not this like pity me uh you know why are you terrible like it's not and this is all appealing to what he has already figured out about Worf's very strong principles and he convinces Worf to and this is my number two best is playing Worf to go check out the signal. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is also going to make my number three. Garrick blindly charging in to just get to his dad. And, and I think that's really what's dry. And these are one of those moments, like you said, where he's really uh, breaking out of his character. He's He's taking risks that he normally would not take. As a spy living on a station whose only survival is having this tailor shop, he, he's not associated with any organization. He's nowhere else to go. This is a big risk for him to go out there. I didn't have a lot to say about like what they do in prison except to say that um, getting Martok back to the Klingon Empire turns out to be pretty impactful politically. And it's not... Oh, it's a huge, huge... 
it, you know, Martok, Martok is to me, like, you know, like when we talk about Star Trek, I'm always saying like, you know, the Klingons are the biggest fucking hypocrites <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in, imaginable, you know, right. like at every turn, at every turn, they, you know, they never actually practice what they preach. Uh, amongst well, them, amongst on a political level, amongst themselves, right? Like no, but I, th- I think the people do. But like, because you find this out in season seven that uh, it's it's the politicians that do that, but the people still believe in this Klingon, uh, I, I guess, ethos. Right. I bring that up because Martok is the the Klingon character that gets introduced into the universe that is actually like on the wharf level of actually practicing what he preaches on on the Klingon value system. I wished that Tane's that Tane was making a master play knowing that Martok needed to be reunited with the Klingon Empire, knowing in a super like three-dimensional chess move like what that would mean for Cardassia, for the galaxy, for the way everything plays out, and that and that that's what uh, he needed Garrick to get there for. Because otherwise, what what is the point of Tane sending the Holy message shit. to Garrick? Except Holy ex- shit. except rescue me. Oh my god, you have a really good point with that. I think it was a missed opportunity. I think I think just no no just, no. I just think like, you're right. Just fucking one line of dialogue there the <laughs> would have confirmed w- it at the death scene, and then like one maybe one line of dialogue, something like maybe uh, later, like Garrick, like kind of mutters to Bashir or something, uh, would have just like set that all fucking like on fire and made it seem super cool, but. Um, Anyways, that's just no, because we're we're playing the tradecraft game, like you know we're not going to get our hand held with with that. That's like the sub story of DS. I think you're right. I I think they I think they planned that. I don't think this man that kills my whole daddy issue thing. I don't I don't I I think it might have been. I, 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 I don't mean, think it, it kills really kill it. it. I don't think it kills it because it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. Absolutely, and he's and an intelligence expert like we've pointed out with Garrick hitting two birds with one stone. This is definitely a great moment for Tane to really like pass the torch over to Garrick, you know, type of thing, and 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 bring Martok back, and it, and it really secures Garrick within the Federation type of city. Wow, I didn't <laughs> think about that. It is wow. the plot plot wise, that's the major thing that changes that you come out of come out of this episode on the whole galaxy politics thing. The major thing that changes is that Martok is back with the Klingons. But uh Right, and, and who facilitated that was was Tane on his deathbed. This is his last play for you know bringing order to everything. And that, that Martok needed to return in order to protect Cardassia because he like foresaw in his three dimensional. Ch- oh my god, fucking Todd, that's a good that's a good gem to catch. Well, because otherwise it's just like you know it's only like I I'm dying and I want to be rescued or something. It just doesn't fit his character. Let's no, not take, at all. Let's take a quick break. It's yeah. it's it's time, dude. Have you ever danced with the devil? Oh, are we doing that? Come on. All right, you want you want a few minutes? Oh, I need Let's a take few a... minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely ready. We're going to skip call to arms. Any uh analysis or look at Garrick as a character and his interaction with the series could not be complete without a look at the episode season 6, episode 19. In the Pale Moonlight. This is considered by many, many sources as being one of the top 10 Star Trek episodes of all time, of the entire franchise. Some people have called I it the best. I wouldn't disagree. Time Magazine, which of course they're not a, they're, they don't have the geeky slant or whatever, but Time Magazine literally called it the best of all time. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. 
Wow. It, it, it shows up, it shows up on so many lists in, in the top five, definitely often in the top 10 by so many websites, so many fan sites. Uh, people love this episode, possibly even more than I do, even though I think it is indeed fantastic. This is the episode where we really go back to that idea of interacting with Garrett can be a little bit of a dangerous game. The name of the episode, it's a its a reference to the quote from the Tim Burton Batman film, Have You Ever Danced with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight? So they're not saying it explicitly, but it's in, it's strongly implied. This is a, an episode about exactly that, dancing with the devil. I completely agree, because this is really a moment where we see Cisco in a tough spot. And the only person he can turn to, like we discussed earlier, is someone that can do the things that he can't do. And I think that's the big takeaway at the end of the episode. You know, and we even get that moment where, like, Cisco's like, if I had to do it again, I would. Um, there's no one else on the show that is means to an end that's also reliable. If you ever want to go to the dark world, Garrick is the person you talk to. The meat of the matter, as presented, is that Cisco has become convinced that the Romulans need to be drawn into the war. He foresees there's there's no way to win the war without the Romulans. And he uh, uses Dax in a really great scene of uh, where she's playing devil's advocate, you know, uh, where he... Right, yeah, that was a great scene. They're role-playing... Uh, you know, a negotiation with the Romulans and she's just pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. And that's what convinces him that uh, they they need proof. Cisco's whole appeal is, you know, they're not going to stop with us. They're going to come after you next. (laughs) And they're probably already planning that. And that's probably true. But she says in her devil's advocate uh, voice on the, on the side of the Romulans, we would need proof. And so Cisco goes out looking for that proof, right? Right. And who better to help than Garrick? And Garrick's plan is to manufacture that proof. He's going to manufacture a lie. A big lie. A big lie that the Dominion is planning an attack on Romulus. To manufacture that light, Garrick has to tap into all of his resources. Uh, but he doesn't quite just tap into those resources. This is a really good scene with Cisco, where Cisco comes to Garrick because people are still dying and it's still like affecting Cisco. And he's like, Have you made any progress? And <laughs> Garrick's response is like, Well, it's de- dependent on how you define progress. And oh, right. Like, the, uh, oh, right. Like, uh, you know. Uh, progress? Well, five of my guys died yesterday just for talking that, to me. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, but, but before he says that, he's like, yeah, I found five of my contacts that feel the same way about the Dominion. Oh, well, that sounds like progress. Yeah, well, they were all killed yesterday just for talking to me. And, and I think that's Garrick's first play into the situation to really test Cisco's decision to dance with the devil. There is right, right, because he has to draw him in and he has to determine. So now we're we're placing Garrick. Garrick's playing the part of quote unquote the devil here. Uh, Cisco's making a devil's bargain, and right. again, we're not saying we're not using devil here as in Garrick's evil, but that uh, Garrick is a liar. Garrick is deceptive. Uh, Garrick doesn't always, you know, tell you everything you you need to know. But also, you know, if you want to get into his waters, you have to kind of say the magic words. Yeah, right. It's it's how I felt like I I was specifically thinking about like the moment in The Shining where uh, the ghosts are first allowed to speak directly with Jack you know, the ghost can't actually talk to Jack until he says the magic words of like, I'd sell my goddamn soul for a drink right now. And boom, bartender shows up. Hello, Lloyd. Right. 
But Garrick is super, uh, you know, he doesn't, he says, this is a bad idea. This is, we're not doing this. You don't want to mess with this. And Cisco's like, no, I really, really do. And I forget exactly the dialogue bit, but. Um, the, the first one or the prior to the progress? The earlier it was like, are you sure? And then he's, yes, I'm sure. And that's why I think the progress scene is really the contract. And, and I think what you pointed out uh, is that Garrick made up the whole idea that his five contacts had been killed or nine. Yeah. Know, well, we're getting to that. Yeah. But, but <laughs> he really like, until Cisco tells him straight to his face, very convincingly, I will do anything. Like I want to make this bargain. Garrick's first question prior to the progress scene is, is, uh, you know, to do something like that would be a very messy and bloody process. And then Cisco just goes like, I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're because we're getting assaulted too. And reinforced by these casualty reports that are constantly coming in that Cisco's like, you know, being driven mental by. And, um, but he, he says Garrick gets Garrick is not going to help him until he says the magic words, which are basically something along the lines of, I don't care what it costs. I need this done. I will do right. anything. And that, yeah. that is, I think, like kind of supposed to be the metaphorical magic phrase that unlocks the devil in right. being allowed <laughs> to start doing his work. You know, right. like they don't they don't literally sign a contract. They don't literally make a handshake, but it's 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 just in there. Right. The the let's make it very clear right now. Mm-hmm. The objective for this contract is to get the Romulans in the war. We need to make that very clear. I really like that you bring that up for two reasons. Uh, first of all, again, just going with this, um, you know, devil metaphor, uh, the devil is always um, very specific in the language that he wants used in the contract. Right. And then, um, second right. Of, right. Yeah. And, but second of all, it's also, it, it's not just there for flavor. It also works in terms of um, Garrick wants to make sure that he knows exactly what Cisco actually wants so that, so that when he delivers, although he might deliver it in a, just like the devil, he might deliver on his contract in a different way than what you expected, or, you know, or genies when you make wishes and stuff. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that Garrick is enabled, he crafts a plan to create proof. What they're going to do is manufacture a video of the Dominion discussing an invasion of Romulus. And the only way to do that is to, one, get someone who can create a very believable hologram, and two, find someone that can produce a real Cardassian data rod. Yes, it's Those- a specific kind of rod that has the property that uh, the data written to it cannot be overwritten, modified, edited. It It is unassailable uh, fact. Right. And, and that's a rare thing, especially here right. in a universe where obviously, I mean, we have video manipulation like crazy, um, you know, here in our 20th century, imagine what they could do in the 24th. Right. Exactly. And uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is back to your point about Garrick always having his pinky on the pulse or his toe in the water um, and why I think you and I are right that his contacts dying actually was not real. Um, he knew there was someone in Klingon prison that is the best hologram manufacturer ever that'll make everything as realistic as possible. And that his other contact, uh, knows how to get a Cardassian data run. And so he he manipulates Cisco into using Cisco's authority uh, right. to 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 make these things happen, you know. 
Like Garrett. Well, one of, one, of, one of the other things that he uses Cisco's authority is to convince the senator to come to the ship. Mm-hmm. That's important. The Romulan senator that they're going to show this hologram to in order to convince him because that's spe- so. There's okay. Let, let's talk about uh, uh, in, intelligence in general. You know, you have your full intelligence cycle where you know there's a need. Okay, or a problem that that needs to be clearly defined. Then the next step is what needs to be known, right? And then how to do that. Um, part of that involves targeting, and the importance of picking that senator is because that specific senator has a lot of sway in Romulan Senate, especially for convincing them to join the war. And if they can convince that senator that uh, Romulus is in jeopardy or under risk of attack from Dominion, then they can convince Romulus uh, to join the war. So, one, he has to use Cisco to convince the senator to join the ship, which Cisco is like, well, why would the senator be going wherever he's going? And Garrick is like, don't worry about that part. So Garrick not only fixes a situation in which to get the senator to go somewhere and on his way going there, stopped by Deep, Deep Space Nine, right? Uh, then he has to tell Cisco, use your authority to convince Gowron to release this prisoner on a pardon with parole who can manufacture the hologram. Then Garrick has to get a real Cardassian data rod. And by doing that, he has to get, what was it? Some kind of gel, right? So Cisco now has to talk to Gowron. Please pardon this prisoner. He then has to convince the senator on his trip that either Garrick has set up the trip or knows that that trip is happening. Please stop by DS9. I have something to talk to you about. And Cisco has to convince Bashir to give him gel. Now it gets even more complicated because after the guy is pardoned, uh, to come create this hologram. He stabs fucking Quark at the bar because he drank four bottles of fucking booze and tried to hit on the Dabo player. So now Cisco has to go talk to Quark and convince Quark not to press charges, which then Quark responds, thank you for uh, uh, reinforcing my faith in rule of acquisition. Right, because, because, Cisco, because Cisco also overrules uh you know uh odo's investigation asks odo to not look into it further and then further breaks federation rules by letting quark get away with some shit that he shouldn't be allowed to get right 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 exactly there's like a list that quark comes up so but but plus as you can see and it's even worse than that because he is actually like uh condoning he's he's become at that point um uh, aiding and abetting an attempted murder or assault, anyways, on his own station. Cisco's digging himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And as that's going on, I'm sure Garrick's watching. Eventually, we uh, we find out that Garrick has played it two ways, and this is really fascinating. But actually, before I get to that. I gotta say, like, here's my number one best. Oh my god, hundred percent. When Cisco first approached him and kind of asked him, like, you know, how are things going? And he talks about progress. And he's like, well, uh, five people I talked to died yesterday. So if you want to call that progress, that's that's great. And at the time, I was sitting there thinking, like, I wonder if Garrick lost any assets in that, or if that's just a lie. And then later in the episode, when he's coaching Cisco on how to sell this lie to the Romulans, he specifically tells him, like, make sure you tell him that, like, you lost night, you lost some valuable Federation agents getting this information. Right. Oh, nine or ten should be about the right number. 
That is, <laughs> that's my number one best trade craft. I don't believe Garrick lost any assets along the way. He's telling, he's basically coaching Cisco to tell the same lie that he just told Cisco a minute ago. As I just fucking love it. No, absolutely, and, and I, I think that was one of the steps that got him to get Cisco to confirm. Yes, I want to go down this road. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah. Oh right. You know, like uh, you know, it's like in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. You know, if you asked your friend, if you asked your friend to help you out with something, and they say like, "Oh, five of my friends died trying to help with this situation," you're kind of, you're kind of a little bit more invested. Right. At the end of the day, Garrick has played a masterful double play. It's probably his. I mean. It's like I said before, it's it's considered by many to be one of the best episodes of Star Trek overall. It's definitely considered to be one of the best of the series. Uh, and the whole thing comes down to Garrick having not only masterminded this step-by-step situation of leading Cisco to uh, try to accomplish the objective but also having this entire backup plan that accomplishes right. the same objective by assassinating the by assassinating the, the Romulan senator in a way that ties in with all the other elements is just fucking great. Yeah, and this made my number one best. It was was Garrett crafting the entire plan as well as having a plan B. We have that scene where. Uh, Garrick's like, oh, I'm going to go check for intelligence uh, on the ship. Well, aren't you going to get caught? He was like, well, he has four guards. Two are coming into the war room with you and two are going to guard the ship. And and, uh, Cisco's like, just don't get caught. This is another moment where like Garrick omits information. It's very believable that Garrick is trying to get intelligence off of that ship. What we find out later is Garrick plants a bomb to later go off at some point to make it look like the Dominion was responsible for that bombing. So if the fake rod and hologram didn't work, well, we're just going to kill the Senator. That Senator is going to die. I'm going to kill the criminal we hired to write the hologram, which that's no sweat off our back, you know, and the Romulans are going to join the war. So that's that's my number one best is just having his backup plan that like, well, if the senator doesn't buy this, then I have this other situation that's going to accomplish the objective made by the contract between me and Cisco. And I think that the reason that the episode soars up on the lists of uh, everyone's favorites is really that final moment where Cisco looks at the camera and says, you know what? I would do it again. And then deletes the log. <laughs> deletes the log. You've never seen that happen before in, in Star Trek up until this point. You've never seen a, a Federation captain literally erase the record of what happened. <laughs> and it was and it was Garrick that led him the devil led him into a dance in the pale moonlight. And, you know, would you do it again? Yeah, you would. But nobody needs to fucking know about that shit. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. Now, on the Spies Like Us podcast, at this point, uh, we give uh, a movie a star rating. Uh, This is a little tricky because we're doing television show and specifically we're doing a character on a television show, which could be tricky except that it's kind of not for me because either way you slice it i'm at a five uh (laughs) i i i love i love star trek um deep space nine is my favorite star trek garrick is my favorite star trek character uh how can I give it anything but a five on just sheer love rewatchability? You know, I, uh, I watched 
when I first saw uh, The Next Generation, the first episode, Encounter at Farpoint, totally turned me off. I said, this is bullshit. <laughs> it wasn't until like uh, like a few years later uh, that I that I came back to the series and I said, oh, my God, this shit has grown. Wow. And and got hooked. So when Deep Space Nine came out, uh, the first episode, I actually had kind of the same reaction. I think this I think the whole idea of Cisco being the emissary super turned me off. I said, this is some really fucking bad writing. Awful, awful garbage. However, I said to myself, you know what, Todd? You said the same thing about Next Generation when you first saw the first episode. So in this case, I decided to just go ahead and wait a couple years and then come back in and check in. And man, was I not disappointed. Uh, I love this series. It it was uh, a long time until it showed up, you know, as streamable that I sat down and watched the entire thing from beginning to end. For me, that was about 10 years ago. For you, that was like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, star rating. It's it, this is this is five. I'll I will never Deep Space Nine occupies the perfect space for me, like right in between like the fun uh and romanticism of next generation and the like kind of hard steeliness and and hyper complicated ongoing plots of Battlestar Galactica. Deep Space Nine just it's it's in a perfect space. Five stars. So at the time this was out, I definitely uh, that was a time when I was started, I guess, watching film, quote unquote, you know, to put my pinky up, I guess. Um, and I kind of got I, I probably was a, a later teenager or I guess getting into my teens and um, drama television kind of bothered me. So I, I actually didn't watch it up until a year ago. Like I had said earlier, I grew up on uh, the next generation and um, going back and watching it. I uh, definitely had a new appreciation for Star Trek, uh, mainly because um, this is one of the first times a Star Trek serialized from what I understand. And, uh, you know, Ronald Moore actually worked on the show and that's what led into the new BSG. Now, BSG was the first time that I actually appreciated television drama. And, the, you know, if, without going into crazy history of like serializing shows that aren't like soap operas, um, uh, I, I was really blown away, especially with the later seasons. Um, I think it's hard for me to give it a five mainly because there was a lot of episodic stuff at the beginning and there was a lot of filler, so to speak as a weeb. Uh, but I mean, like a lot of the characters were really well developed and just the, the, the gravitas of the show and, um, like the politics and the different nations and the different races, on a more abstract level on top of a more individualistic level that existed on the station where these different opinions had to clash and live with each other. Um, I'm, I'm definitely taking a four for the show, uh, but I think I'm going to agree with you with a five on Garrick, uh, especially uh, listening to you talk about him on the podcast, uh, considering you know, his relationship with Tane and his relationship with everybody else. I, I, I give, I give Garrick a five for sure. He's definitely a super spy way better than bond. <laughs> Even though, well, yeah, well, bond, like uh, again, like, uh, well, Garrick, so much of his spying goes off, off, goes on off screen though, which is going to be weird when we, uh, when we give park benches, but, um, <laughs> and, and and when I when I'm when I name my best and worst 
tradecraft here. I, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a scholarly pursuit. I didn't, you know, do a super analyze analysis of the entire <laughs> series. These are it was things, tough. These are things that popped out at me while doing the research for this episode. My number three best tradecraft is just the the Taylor cover. It's great. It's yeah. hide, it's hiding in plain sight, and and just the way he completely maintains this uh this uh who me who little pinky <laughs> next to the what me um it's it's good it's solid and it's again like uh, just the hiding in plain spite sight this is uh this is weirdly enough the safest place in the galaxy for him and and. There's no other character in the universe that you could say that about. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> My number two best is when he realizes that, uh, you know, all of Tane's uh, best, you know, closest associates and closest uh, uh, little circle have been killed. He's got to go straight to Tane because it, it that's correct. Either Tane is not going to rest until you're dead or Tane needs to be warned. Uh, my number one best 100% from uh, In the Pale Moonlight is, uh, you know, nine or ten agents. That should do it. You always want to you always want to make it sound like, you know, many Bothans died to get us this information. Whether or not that's true, it makes it plausible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear your best. Uh, my number three was the fake assassination and the blowing up of his tailor shop. But it wasn't just that act. It was like the impact of that, of killing two birds with one stone, where one, he gets Odo to start investigating. And number two, he could track the trail of the assassins before they got to him. Um, that was a really good play. Uh, number two was... Uh, him convincing Worf to to follow that signal. Um, he 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 one tested the waters to really get to know Worf because they really didn't have any interaction. And you know he's not a guy that Worf would get along with in general. But now is an opportunity for him to get to know him. And so he lied about wanting to join Starfleet, got a little bit more information, and then. Uh, colored his entire uh, narrative to him um, to convince him to follow the distress signal. But my number one by far is Garrick's entire plan with Cisco and having a plan B where, all right, let's manufacture evidence for the Romulans. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to make an assassination um, look like it was the Dominion, which is really a callback to our, a man who knew too much, our first episodes on this podcast, uh, where you have, you have a political figure assassinated, uh, in a different country or, or territory. Oh, right. Yeah. It always, it always does come back to that. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Both, <laughs> both of our number one bests came from pale moonlight. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the essential, it's the essential Garrick episode. My number three worst is, uh, from the wire, uh, using the name Elim in his stories. Okay. Yeah, I get it. He's in pain. He's reaching out, blah, 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 story stuff. But, uh, you know, on a purely utilitarian, cynical spycraft level, just never give, uh, even a hint of your real name. That's only my number three right. worst. Uh, my number two worst, uh, again, it's in service of the story. I realized at some point it had to happen, but we, we he could have accomplished maybe the same things without telling Odo that he was, in fact, a prior member of the Obsidian Order in uh, the episode where they go and get captured by Tane and stuff. And uh, my number one worst comes from that same episode. Thinking that the Romulans weren't listening, uh, that is just bullshit. <laughs> Flat out. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they were listening or they weren't listening. The fact that you thought 
that you acted as if they weren't listening makes no goddamn sense and also goes back to your whole thing about fucking cameras. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my number three was Garrick blindly charging in to get dad with Worf and got them captured. Um, to, to be honest, it was really, really hard to think of worsts for Garrick. Cause like I said, he is our uh, super spy, but he's also kind of just got this super, he's, you know, you mentioned plot armor before Garrick yeah. is kind of made of plot armor because anything he says could be true or could not be true according to the whims of the story writers. Whatever right? they want <laughs> is 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 what's true. No, absolutely. That's a good lead, lead in my number one. Um, uh, but my number two is Garrick, like you, not assuming the Romulans were watching. Mm-hmm. But my number one, and thanks for the lead in, is why are there no fucking cameras anyway? And the only time that I saw, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I might get some other uh, pieces of evidence from the Uber fans. Um, the only time we saw cameras was on some random filler episode, but like cameras were never utilized ever, especially in the interrogation with uh, Odo and Garrick. See, that's so. that's you're just showing off your your Star Trek ignorance there, Dave. Because if, yeah. if you would if you would if you were real Trekkie, you would know that uh, in the animated series they explained that the war against the Tellurians caused the Federation to lose the technology of double-sided mirrors. Oh. Oh, well, there you go. I'm fuck- <laughs> I, I am fucking with you. <laughs> oh. Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, you, you caught me. That was a good Garrick play there. Where where we're gonna land on uh, park benches? I'm 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 actually aiming a little low. I'm I'm five yeah, star I'm five stars on this character. I don't think he's the greatest spy, at least not that we see. Like we always have to assume so much stuff. Um, right. I'm, I'm. I remember we've changed our uh, redaction rating to park benches. Yeah. Like so, it's gone you're... the opposite direction. So the more park benches, the more realistic. The it's less a... park benches. Yeah, it's a one to five scale. Although we we have been known to dip into the point five for our man fleet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm I'm aiming low here. I you know you just mentioned a second ago that Garrick is a better spy than Bond. That's true, but you know in From Russia with Love we did see more tradecraft than just from Bond. Um, right. I'm I'm man. Well, it's better than spies like us. I, <laughs> it's it's it might it might be lower than uh from russia with love i'm i'm gonna go with a two park benches what do you think let's negotiate this out um i was gonna go with the one till you pointed out that we with our new conversion that spies like us you would be can't, one. Yeah, you can't, you can't yeah. put it with spies like us. <laughs> no, not at all. That's, um, that's, that's the bottom, that's the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, uh, I guess I, I, I would. Is, I, like, why don't you compare it to uh, La Femme Nikita? We give that. Well, a that's actually what I was. You took the words right out of my mouth. Let's go. Uh, I think it's. I think it's around La Femme Nikita, which is a we, we we would have given a one point five park benches, um, versus from Russia with love being a two point five. Uh, I want. I want to say, it's around La Femme Nikita, uh, but. I also want to say that Garrick was a better spy than Bond. <laughs> I know but, you do. No, it's yeah, not. But the, the, Bond didn't get the retroactive 2.5 park benches. Uh, Russia with Love didn't get that rating because of what Bond did. It got that rating because of what uh, 
the the enemies did. That's right. That's that's right. And and also from Russia with Love was in a historical timepiece versus we got a science fiction. Um, but I I kind of believe Garrick as a better spy than La Femme Nikita. I don't know. I think I'm gonna go for a two on this. That's where that's where I'm at, brother. Let's call it. Yeah, let's let's go for a two. And that's Garrick. Uh, looking forward to what's coming up next. Uh, Tink Tinker Tailor, Taylor, Soldier Spy. Boom. Yeah. Connection yeah, with the whole Taylor thing. Yeah. <laughs> we're bringing it heavy next episode. All right. And then uh, maybe after that, maybe Spy Kids. Yeah. I think it's time for another goofy one. We haven't had one for a while. I know. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler. <laughs>